there's only one snack that can make me feel like I'm having the true movie theater experience, and that's popcorn. When my mom and I hang in for a girl's night, we have to get our fix, and that's where Kelly's Killer Popcorn comes in. They're a small batch gourmet popcorn company, and believe me, one bite and you'll be hooked. Made in Austin, Texas, this family-owned business has tons of flavors. My mom loves their salted agave caramel, while I have a hard time picking between black pepper or dill pickle. Hmm, maybe I'll just mix the bags together. Oh, and when my dad and brother crash our girl's night, you know that spicy nacho popcorn is coming out. Every flavor is popped in 100% real butter and is whole grain and gluten-free. Which flavor will you be choosing? Head on over to kellyskillerpopcorn.com to indulge yourself in some scary good gourmet popcorn. And make sure to tag them on Instagram at kellyskillerpopcorn so that they can see what movie you're pairing with their flavors. That's kellyskillerpopcorn.com for American-made, small-batch, delicious popcorn. This is The Gala Show. I'm your host, Gala Avery. Welcome to a special bonus episode of The Gala Show, where it's just you, me, and a topic of my choosing. When I was editing last week's episode for Percy Hines White, I heard myself make a reference to a vaulted conversation, so I thought, why not release it as a bonus episode for you guys to hear? When I was coming up with the idea for The Gala Show, I recorded a few episodes to get my format right. One of them was courtesy of previous guest Michelle Colos Brooks, who came on the show to talk about adaptations without exploitation in episode two, and Max Brooks, who decided to chat with me about Minecraft in episode eight. My original idea for the show would be that when I had a duo, I would record them individually before bringing them together, be it a husband and wife, boyfriend and girlfriend, writing partners, twins, an actor and a director who had worked on the same project, etc. My list of ideas went on and on and on. Being in a creative partnership with my dad for the past 13 or so years, I think it's really important to demonstrate how every duo's dynamic is completely unique, yet it works for them. No two duos are ever going to be the same, and that's pretty awesome to me. I get asked a lot about the dynamic I have with my dad, and maybe that's a conversation I'll have with him on mic another time, because yes, we are pretty much the exact same on mic as we are off. Love you, dad. However, as I started to record with more duos, I realized that they didn't really want to be separated. Why should they? They're a team. Most people want to be on mic together. It's more fun to hang out with your buddy anyway. So I scrapped the idea because it didn't always work out how I wanted it to, and it seemed like it was more stressful for my guests to have to record two episodes back to back. But this conceptual episode still exists. So since I made mention of it, I thought, why not release it for everyone to enjoy, especially because I loved the topic that Michelle and Max came up with literally as we sat down on the mic. Thank you to Michelle and Max for not only allowing me to test out my format with them, but also for inviting me into their home, spending a few hours with me and just being two people that I really love. And thanks to you, my listeners, for being here to witness it all. Hope you enjoy. This is The Gala Show. I'm your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery. A very special episode for all of you today. Whenever there's a duo, be it writing partners, a podcasting pair, or a set of twins, I love to interview them separately before bringing them back together. You've heard both of my guests on the show before. Joining me on the mic today, they're both successful writers. One is an author, the other a playwright. However, they're also a husband and wife duo and parents to a brilliant son. Please welcome returning guests, Michelle Colas Brooks and Max Brooks. Hi, Max. Hi, Michelle. Hello. 
So before we bring up the topic for today, I have a question for both of you. How did you guys meet? <laughs> we met. We met at a party, which is hilarious because Max hates parties as a general rule. <laughs> um, a friend that I went to college with actually grew up with Max. And she invited him to this party to meet someone else. Oh. Yes. Do you remember who? Oh, yeah. Yo, yeah. <laughs> We're not naming names. Not on mic anyway. <laughs> but she was somebody that Max um, not only didn't like or care for, but I would say, how would you describe it? Oh, just repelled. <laughs> Couldn't, couldn't. Well, when no, you no. have Michelle in the room. Well, well said, golly, you'll get a little extra something you <laughs> yeah. need to check today. <laughs> yeah, we, we kind of met and we were just, um, it just instantly, I remember we were, we were talking, talking and he was making me laugh, which is really everything, right? Yeah. And um, it was an outside party and I went inside to get something and when I came back out, he like swiveled around on this bar stool and he said, where have you been? I've been waiting for you. It's <laughs> well, really smooth. I know. Wow. And I was like, and I knew what smooth I was doing. is not his middle name. I'm just going to be honest. But he said that and I immediately, it was, I was like in a, in a cheesy movie and it went all kind of soft focus. <laughs> and I was like, oh, there he is. Wow. It was like literally like, where have you been all my life? It was kind of where have you been all my life. But he literally meant where were you in the last five minutes? Because we had been talking and then I went in to get, I think it was a nice bucket. I think something, something, I think we had been drafted to man the bar. Which was not a good. Neither one of us should have done that. No, but neither of us are bartenders. No, or, no. And I, I don't think we paid attention to anyone else. No, <laughs> but no, I saw her and I knew she was the rest of my life and it scared the hell out of me. Wow. Yeah. Because, you know, I wasn't exactly a ladies man. But oh, it was my mid-20s, and I was kind of looking forward to that point in my life that people tell you about. <laughs> but then there she was. What am I supposed to do? Let her get away? No. No. You can't no. let her get away. No. So how long were you guys dating? Like, Did you well, guys just start dating right away? No, no. no. I, had, I had another <laughs> year. <laughs> like Michelle's face. <laughs> I had another year of film school. I actually had to go to Prague. I went to film school in Prague. Oh, my God. You went to Prague. Yeah, I did the FAMU Academy in Prague. So there was that, and I ended up dating someone else that I knew was on borrowed time. She didn't, but I did. <laughs> um, and then I sort of knew that this was coming, and I cleared the decks and uh, still scared. I mean, we, we hung out. After film school, and I was like, I, I, I can't, I can't get tied. Oh, no. he was constantly like calling me or showing up at my workplace. Oh, or just, and is then, this when you I, worked at the I, youth hostel? No, this was this was when I was working on this program, the Savvy Traveler. Yeah, the, this is the place I was saying it was like downtown in South Central with the bullet holes on the side. Yeah, it's like I just happened to be driving by. No, he was living in Santa Monica. He was not just driving by. But he would be, and then they'd make a big shot of like, I just want to let you know I can't get involved with anybody right now. And I was like, all right, what? You'll appreciate the Star Trek reference. I was totally pulling the Commander Riker. Oh my thing. God, you were pulling a Riker. Because the whole thing about Riker is that like his good side has been beamed down to the planet and split from him, right. the side that loves Deanna. And yeah. so we needed to bring that back up. So, so yeah, no, I was totally being, being Commander Riker, being like, no, I have to focus on my career, which was legitimate because I did know how hard it was going to be. How hard you had to work? Yeah. Yeah, so I thought I don't want to get distracted or tied down. So these two sides were fighting, and the smart side won, and we ended up together. Oh, yeah. We also I have to say, in the year after we met, even though he was in Prague and I was in LA and I was working and he and we were dating other people, we had a number of crazy coincidences. Like wow. 
a number and I won't bore you with all of them, but it was just Oh, I love it. I'm like a hopeless romantic. I'm like, where's my man? Where's he going? Where's my crazy coincidences? Yeah, and I was not, I mean, I was not somebody who was interested in getting married and having kids. I wasn't wasn't not interested. It just wasn't, I just didn't think about it. I I wanted to meet somebody, but it wasn't kind of on the agenda. So when he appeared, I was like, oh God, I think that's, I think that's going to be a thing. It's happening. It's happening. I don't, I didn't feel like I had any real control over it. Wow. I know. Here we are. Here we are. Here you are. How many years later? 25. 25 25 years years later. later. Yeah. I love it. So now, as always, my guest gets to bring their topic to the mic. What are we going to be discussing today? What should we discuss? I think we should discuss having to raise a child who wants to be in the arts Uh, and what the artistic landscape looks like now and what, as as parents, what survival skills are we trying to give this child? I know. Maybe maybe we need somebody else to do that podcast and we have to listen to it. I know, good Lord. I mean, because he's 18. He could be drafted right now. Don't say that. When did he turn 18? He turned 18 at the end of March. Oh, so it's still fresh. Yeah. It's still fresh. Yeah. But before we talk about that, it is time for our commercial break. vegetarian, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy a good spice rub. My favorite place to get them is Smoked Bros, a veteran-owned and operated business that sells premium handcrafted dry rubs, spice blends, and seasonings. Guys, you can even put it on your popcorn. My favorites are Honey Badger, because he doesn't give a bleep, and Jelly and Peanut Flavor Topping, because mm, 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 some things just taste better together. The website even has recipes, so go check out smokedbros.com to support a veteran-owned and operated business and fill your cabinet with delicious flavor. Well, that's our topic for today, then. We're going to be talking about what tools can a parent give their child that want to be in the creative field to get the best start possible because it is an ever-changing landscape. So 30 minutes on the clock, and our time starts now. Okay. The thing is, it's not just an ever-changing landscape. It's a cruel landscape. Oh, God. I think it's always been cruel, though. It's always been cruel. It has, but the, you know... Then to, I mean, it's it's always thrilling to see him being excited about writing something or creating something, but then we deal with so much stuff, rejection, frustration all the time, and then, you know, at some point, it was kind of like, oh, I don't want this for him. Can't, can't you just be a nice dentist? Yeah, <laughs> Get did a real you, job. Did you ever oh, think, yeah. though, that like... Did he witness you guys experiencing this rejection growing up? Like maybe that's prepared him a little bit? Well, sometimes he does, but also the problem is we have to we have to tell him about it sometimes because he's not there when the phone rings or when you don't yeah. get the job. Yeah. And you don't always want your child to know like yeah. this dark side of your business. No, that was actually like my dad would never tell me about this stuff, but I witnessed it and I would overhear him. Mm-hmm. Like I you know, I became a sentient person as his career started to decline. I wasn't, I was just a little kid when it was like red hot 1970s Mel Brooks, mm-hmm. you know, with his movies that are off the charts. I became a, a fully functional human being in the 80s 
when every movie did worse than the last one. Mm. And then he also had a side company nobody knows about, Brooks Films. So like The Fly and Francis and The Elephant Man, all these great classic movies he kept his name off of. But he had a lot of other projects that never went anywhere. Yeah, I understand that because like my dad's creative and so I've grown up. I'm sure my dad like literally was like, wow, why can't you just be a dentist? Yeah. Like, why yeah. can't you just be a nail yeah. tech? Why can't you just like go do something that's stable? Because that's the hardest stable. part about the industry is that it's not stable. No, yeah. and, and there's no rhyme or reason for it. No, it's like you could have the best musical, the best movie, the best script, the best whatever, and it could just like not hit right yeah. just for whatever reason. Tiny. Or it could hit like 50 years later. Right, when you're dead. When you're dead right. and gone. <laughs> and you can't appreciate it. <laughs> right. No, it's hard. It's hard to see. And even as, you know, as a young artist and him putting himself, himself out there and people not um, getting it or not appreciating it. And I mean, I think we told you like he wrote this entire musical and did a we did a stage reading of it at his school and he wrote the the book and the music and the lyrics and the start in it and everything and some of his teachers were like oh sorry didn't make it i crashed out like even teachers are who are supposed to shepherd you they're supposed to be your shepherds and to support you in your creative endeavors didn't did he always want to be in the industry though I don't even think he knows what the industry is. No, no. I think he just, he knew what he wanted to do. So he always wanted to be creative. Yeah, yeah. when he was 10 years old, he wrote his first musical. Charles Bronson, More Than a Vigilante, is his latest musical. His latest musical. His first one was Casablanca, the musical. (laughs) Because he loved Casablanca. He wrote Casablanca. Uh put all you know everyone in it but you could tell how intense he was you know the little kid coming home and he'd say mom i'm gonna fire my director oh. and michelle would be like you can't you can't she's your teacher you can't fire <gasps> she's your teacher. your teacher oh my god it's not even another student yeah. teacher that you're gonna fire i love that i know there was a great moment when he was when they were rehearsing this i don't oh. know if it was rehearsing or was the 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 actual show no it, it was uh it was actually during the show. It was during the show. There was this one girl who had to sing a of number. Casablanca? Of Casablanca. Yeah. She couldn't sing. God bless her. But man, did she try. She, she sweat. I mean, sweat. Sweat trying to get this song. Yeah. And she just couldn't get it. And you hear at the last minute, the, the they didn't really have a proper stage or anything at the school he was going to, but they had this multi-purpose room and so and it was like also like a basketball court so it was like huge and cavernous yeah. and the kids weren't necessarily performers right so they're just 10 year olds they're yeah. just 10 year olds putting on a show so they they um they couldn't really project so the in, like in the 11th hour we got um radio mics we, yeah we got mics for them and forgot to tell them to turn the mics off when they were backstage oh no so this poor girl was just sweating through the song and at the end of it you hear henry Backstage, go. <sighs> and I was like, I feel you, man. I feel, yeah, I know how it feels. But, um, but he he was never like, uh, was never like, I want to be this. He just started doing oh, things yeah. that he was interested in. No, and sometimes it's deeply, deeply personal. Uh, during COVID, we won't name any names, but he fell in love with a girl on a Disney show had a huge crush Mm -hmm. and he found out that the show had been canceled Mm -hmm. and he's like I'm bringing it back (gasps) and he wrote a a whole I think it was like at least four episodes spec episodes of the show to bring it back and he was going to submit it to the Disney Channel (laughs) and be like this is going to be it 
with him, of course, cast as right. the, the love interest. That's really romantic. And it was very romantic. Wow, where's that? Where's my grandchildren? You're like, come on, men. <laughs> and and for some reason, they didn't work. I mean, and like one of the episodes was the school is having trouble with another school because they get all their gym equipment from that school. And it's supposed to be a metaphor for economic hostage taking that China has done to us by outsourcing our, our manufacturing base to China. Wow. For some reason, sure that didn't go. Exactly in that way, but that's what he was thinking about. Yeah. I love that, though. That's a really deep thinker, though, when you're putting that into your writing. He's a, he's a funny kid. He's a funny kid. He's I'm... got a lot popping. It's all, it's all going to it's all gonna coalesce at some point. Well, he yeah. was really into Japan. I think yes. way yes. back when. Is he still really into Um Well, that helped get him to Charles Bronson. Everything oh, with him is connect, yeah. connected. It's all... So, yeah. yeah. So, his connection was... He loved Star Wars, little kid. Mm-hmm. I said, do you want to see the movie it's based on? So we watched Hidden Fortress. Mm-hmm. Got him into Kurosawa. Like a good father should. Mm-hmm. Got the shepherd. Him watching, <laughs> uh, then he was watching Mag, uh, Seven Samurai. Mm-hmm. I said, do you want to watch the Western it's based on? Then he, I mean, that, that was yeah. taken from that. Then he watches Magnificent Seven, and there's an actor, Charles Bronson, being kind to children. Yeah. And he's like, I like that guy, which then got us into classic Bronson films. Yeah. So with him, it's all about connecting one thing to another. Which I think is so many art. I mean, that's how you sort of know that you're dealing with an artist, yes. right? When you're kind of just buzzing, your soul's kind of buzzing around, making connections to things. And I wonder where Bronson's going to lead him. I, That's the exciting part. I don't know. It's very, it's yeah. not not a path I expected to go down in my life with my kid. I thought maybe there'd be some shopping. I don't know. But um, yeah, how do how do you as a parent like when all of a sudden he's like I'm just like now really into Charles Bronson. Like, do you just let that happen? Yeah, I mean, there was no reason not to. We we. Um, it's a pretty tame I, I was, thing to take interest yeah, in. Yeah, I mean, I could have, I could do without the Death Wish movies, but he, <laughs> but he didn't watch those till much, much later. Um, no, well, that, I, that was the impetus. He was like, I need to show the world that Bronson is more than the guy in the Death Wish yes, movies. Yeah, yes. that was what that's what inspired it all. But those came later. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it's good to be into things, you know, mm-hmm. um, except. You know, I'm glad he's not into drugs or into. Well, I don't think know, anyone should be into right, those things, right? Or into alcoholism or right, et cetera. But he's not a kid. That's but he's, but he's into he'll something for whatever reason will get his attention and he'll be super into it. And I think it's always good to be into things. I think interesting people are int- into things. Yeah, yeah. Like his, he loves he he loves history, but mm-hmm. not from an intellectual point of view. He loves it because in his mind, it's people getting in trouble. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Wow. He's always he's always been fascinated by people getting in trouble. When he was little, and there was nothing to do, like we were in New Orleans once, and mom and her friends went to like, oh look, there's a flea market. Let's go look. And Henry's like, oh. And I said, hey, do you want to go to the park and watch kids get in trouble? And he's like, oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> is that because is he like a very well behaved? He's a, he. Um... He's a rule follower for sure. That I was gonna say because sometimes us rule follower. I'm a rule follower. I'm the oldest sister. Yeah. I think he's an only child, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but as an oldest sister, I follow the rules. Like my mm-hmm. calendar is my sacred thing. Like don't mess with my calendar. Don't uh-huh. mess with my rules. Uh, but I like to watch people misbehave. I love watching yep. reality TV. <laughs> I love because it's like I get to kind of enact like what it would be like if I did that without yes. actually doing it. Right. Yeah. We, right. I think he's got a little bit of that. We've tried to stay on the same page as parents. Sometimes like he, 
went through a Kim Jong-un phase. Oh, okay. That, that's a random one. Because yeah. it goes back to getting in trouble. Yeah. And be, and he was like, oh my God, what would it be like if I lived in a country with the worst teacher possible? Like the worst classroom was Kim Jong-un. <laughs> so, but he thought Kim Jong-un was also cute and funny. Was a lot of people did. Like there was this Tumblr page for a while that was Kim Jong-il looking at things. Uh-huh. And it was just his dad like going around pointing. And people just thought it was hilarious. And then for a while they did Kim Jong-un looking at things. And it's like, he's not really that funny though, guys. Like, come on. Right, right. In the end, he's, you know, murderous tyrant, but on the surface, he's yeah. quite jolly yeah. and hilarious. Looking. To an eleven-year-old, he was he was yeah. hilarious. Hilarious. So I bought I bought a life-size poster of Kim Jong Un. <laughs> I was like, you can't, no, not in the house. In his room. That's where we differed. I'm like, no. Yeah. Did it go up? Did it go up though? She, she, it went up in Grandpa's house because Grandpa had these sliding doors, so I oh. pocket doors. So you slid him from out of the wall, and suddenly there was Kim Jong Un. <laughs> Jump scare. Yeah. Right. I'd be completely scared of that. I know it's terrifying. It's since it's since disappeared, thank God. But yeah, I wasn't on the Kim Jong Un bandwagon as much as no. as much as you were. So now that he's going off to college, almost. Oh. I don't want to say that because it feels like it's too. Even me, who's not related to him at all, I feel like it's too soon. Mm-hmm. How do you guys feel about that? Like he's gonna go? I think Michelle, you said like Emerson's one of his choices, maybe or yeah, he's interested, you know, in the arts. So Emerson, NYU. So he's interested in backies. He really wants a city. We'll see. It's a strange. It's a strange landscape for college right now. Who knows oh, where yeah. he'll end up? Um, well, I mean, you have to prepare him not only for being a creative in the future, but also for moving away from home, probably yeah. for the first time ever in his life. Yeah. And like, what is it like when you have a cold and you can't just call your mom like, "Hey, mom, I really need dinner tonight." Yeah. Is he considering staying here on the West Coast and all? Maybe. You know, it's funny. We we gave him the option. Yeah. We said, listen, you do not have to go to school back east. You don't even have to go to college. Yeah. You do have to move out. Like eighteen years old, there's a change coming. No, you have, he's not moving out. Just so you know, uh, I was not on board with moving out. But but no. like you have to this start the, your this life. This is the Charles right. Bronson. No, I, was, I was very clear about like you're eighteen. You have to get an apartment and get a job. No, well, it's that important. Was never but it's important though. I mean, okay, today it's really difficult to get an apartment. Uh, it's very expensive. Right. But with help from parents, you can basically have a soft exit uh, where you do have to take care, like clean your room and do your laundry and mm-hmm. get your groceries yeah. and you can't just like eat your ramen. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's difficult now. Yeah. yeah so but we gave him the option and he said, no, he said, I want to, I want to go back East because I feel like if I don't, I'll regret it the rest of my life. Wow. Cause this might be his only time maybe that he decides to go back there i don't know a lot of people feel like that when they're from here they kind of go maybe for like a year or two and they're like okay i'm done with that i've experienced it i'm coming back yeah Yeah. also i love being back east and so i am perfectly happy for us to spend more time back there that's always been my i actually had thought you know he was born in new york and i always thought that maybe when he was a teenager we would move back um because i always suspected that he'd be like a city kid who would who would really thrive um in able, being able to have the the city the access to the city but for a number of reasons we didn't go back and um i'm perfectly happy for us to go and spend yeah. more time back there and wow. see what happens and we're usually there at least once or twice a year and so and, and he knows himself and he knows 
that the best way to calm himself if he's having a rough day or to organize his thoughts if he's got a lot to do. He likes to take long walks. That's great. And yeah, go exploring. So he likes cities. He likes being able to say, oh, there's a cafe, a store. To explore. Yeah. yeah. And he kind of has the soul of a 65-year-old Jewish man and that <laughs> he'll just go to a restaurant by himself and sit down and order yeah. something and wow. say, oh, hey, what's good on the menu? <laughs> I really think that he and I are like long-lost friends. I kind of so, I, I think we're long-lost friends. Yeah. I think we've got to make that happen. Yeah, eventually. One yeah. day when he comes back from Backies, <laughs> when he's had his Backies fill and he can come back to L.A. So when he wants to be creative, though, do you have those fears that he's going to... Because Max and I talked about just, like, you have to give it your all. Like, you have... There is no backup plan. You just have to forge ahead, and there you're going to get a thousand no's before you even just get one maybe or one yes. Yeah. How do you prepare for that as parents for him? I mean, I think we're pretty open with him about our constant frustrations and fluctuations, and... We've just let him know that um, this is what you're getting into, yeah. and this is part of this is part of being an artist. And it's not the easiest path, but if it's who you are, it's who you are, and you have to you have to be who you are. And if you decide to go in another direction, fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, if you decide you want some more security or something like that, fine. But um, you know, all we can do is try to lead by example. And it's also hard because because we're both writers. It's not like he's going to sit there and just watch us write. No, it's true. So whenever there's like, if I have a play opening or Max is speaking somewhere, we try to always bring him to things so mm-hmm. he can see the the different sides of the experience. Yeah, like I just went to Comic-Con in San mm-hmm. Diego to promote the new book and he was my assistant. Oh, that's, that's a good start. So I was like, yeah. you work the line and he did. And he, you know, took down the names and did everything he had to just... And it was sad because my friend Ken Foray from Dawn mm-hmm. the Dead was yeah. there. And he came to say hi. And he didn't know my son was my son. He's oh, like, yeah. oh, is Mr. Brooks here? He's like, oh, yes, sir. I'll, I will introduce you. Or, I was like, why didn't you say hi? You knew it was Ken Foray. He's like, no, dad, I had a job. I have to do That's my job. so funny. I mean, I've had people on set not know like that I was my dad's whatever and really? stuff. And then I've, yeah. So it's like I totally can relate to that where it's like, and you have a job. You have to be professional. Yeah, right. You can't just be like, oh. And also that's the other thing is, nepotism people judge based on nepotism oh, a lot yeah. um i'm sure you experienced that oh, boy. i experienced with the whole first season of the podcast the first like five or six episodes people on reddit were really mean to me oh, like oh God. she's just of a girl course. she's just here she's so dumb she's just like here because like of this and then eventually people are like okay no she knows what she's talking about but there's always that first thought of like oh this person's oh, just yeah. here because their dad or their mom you know it almost killed my career Oh, really? When Zombie Survival Guide first came out, the publisher and the agent tried to promote it as a joke book written by Mel Brooks's son. That's wow. literally, that was their marketing plan was like wow. younger Frankenstein. Wow. And I told them, I said, don't do that. It's, first of all, the, the book's not funny. So they're going to hate it for not being funny. And second of all, the horror nerds, my people, my tribe who don't know me yet are going to think that Mel Brooks's brat is taking a giant dump on something they love. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. Wow. And that's where my wife saved the day. Really? She Did said, I... you have to take their marketing plan and throw it away and market it yourself. And so we found Fangoria Magazine and Tony Timpone there gave me a shot to do my interview, my first interview where I could just be me and prove myself. Wow. And then I got on Fangoria Radio with Dee Snyder. And I was like, no, I'm not Mel Brooks Jr. writing a comedy book. I'm Max Brooks horror geek writing possibly the geekiest book ever written. And it is really geeky. That's why I love it. That's why I love it. I told him I actually gifted it to my dad when I was like a kid. I had access. I think the website was called thinkgeek.com. Yes. Yes. And they were selling it on ThinkGeek. And I... 
The other thing I bought was a Batleth letter opener, which my dad still has. But, uh, and I bought my dad that for like a Christmas or birthday. And I wrote like a whole essay in it. And it's still on our toilet. It's like toilet reading. That's exactly where it should be. That's 100% where it should be. You made the toilet. Yeah. Because everyone reads it. That's like the one place in my house where my dad's like, we have to put the important stuff because that's where every single person that comes into your house will go. They don't go in your bedroom, hopefully. They're in the bathroom. It's it's a good argument for it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's really funny. No, and that's another lesson we we tell Henry is if you're going to be an artist for a career, you have to find people who know you and get you. And even if they're hard on you, it's because they're trying to push you in the direction you should be going. Yeah. I would not literally be who I am if my wife hadn't said, what are you talking about? This is who you are. You need to do this. Because when we dated, I was trying to be an actor because my mother wanted me to be an actor. Yeah. And I hated it. I hated every part of it even when I would get roles. Wow. And Michelle said, if you hate it, you need to stop doing it. And I might have been the first child in American history to do the reverse of uh, Dead Poet Society <laughs> and stand up to your parents and say, I do not want to be an actor. <laughs> it's so funny, though, because I think that's a really important lesson. Like, if you hate what you're doing, stop doing it. Stop doing it, yeah. Because you're never going to be successful if you hate it. But, you know, it's funny when you're, you know, Max had no idea. He like couldn't see, he was so indoctrinated in a way, yeah. right? He couldn't see that he kept pursuing something that he didn't like. And I, I wasn't, I'm not brilliant. I just- Yeah, you are. I just, <laughs> it's okay to toot you your own horn. Um, no, but I'll, I just kept hearing him say like, I hate this. And then I was like, you know, you hate this. And he was like, oh, like he had to hear it. He had to hear from, from someone else. else. I mean, I, my brother has a lot of friends that ended up going into like engineering or whatever degree that they were told to go into. And now, like, yeah, they're making a lot of money, but they're all single. They have no way to meet girls. They're really unhappy. A lot of them are online gambling. Oh. That's, like, the new thing because they're making these, like, $150,000-plus paychecks, and they're just online gambling and drinking. And it's a really bad combo, and it's because they're unhappy. And so, like, that's my biggest thing. I always tell people, if you're not happy, why do it? Yeah. Like, yeah. come on, be happy. Life's too short. It's like, way too short. That's for sure. But your chasing your passions can lead you to very difficult places. Depends so. on what the passions are. <laughs> yeah, no, but it can. It can. It's and it's rough. And and I think um, you know I often wish that we had like a little Michael P. Keaton. That Alex P. Alex, Alex P. Keaton. Sorry, I conflated. <laughs> Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Fox. <laughs> Alex P. Keaton. Um, thank you. Honey. You put them together. I put them together in the perfect yes. place. Yes. <laughs> Um, you know, and, uh, so that I could not have to worry about his, you know, his future and not worry, not have to worry about, I mean, life is heartbreaking enough as it is without your work always being like a source of anxiety and stuff, but he's, he's, uh, he's rolling so far. He's rolling with it pretty well. And, um, and we don't know what the future of writing or any, you know, the arts are going to be and. We've talked to him about that too. This is what another reason my wife's a genius is because she's always saying like we need to find a school for him that won't just you know teach writing or the or the, the craft the craft the of writing craft. but yeah. also teach different mediums mm-hmm. because for Weena for all we know it could be dis- uh, writing for video games it yeah could, God knows what technology will bring us 
and he needs to become comfortable with that yeah i think a lot of people also don't realize that like if you have like a passion for writing like you don't have to write a movie or a tv show or right. a play like there are writing for comic books writing for right. uh video games even like my brother he's so into linguistics and like how mm. people like use words and he whenever we're like looking at ui or ux he's like look they use the imperative and like that's like how you uh. know and like they're choosing these things like in advertising and it's like wow that's really interesting because i don't think i would ever be that kind of writer but my brother might right and you just don't know where you're gonna fall that yeah. that happened to my dad he started writing for sid caesar in, in the early early 50s late 40s it was 49 at the admiral Broad, broadway review on stage wow in broadway and they said listen we're gonna do something crazy we're gonna take the show and put it on this thing called television <laughs> <laughs> And does anybody know how to write for television? No, it's just been invented. Okay, well, let's give it a shot. Well, it's like VR. Like, you never know. Like, people might be writing for VR. People Absolutely. might be writing for, I don't even know what's going to come next. People might even be writing for TikTok for all I know. Right. Like, here's oh, yeah. my 10 second short. I People write for this. I know people that like write for YouTubers. Mm -hmm. um, really? like they're basically ghost writers and they just like write and edit for them and people never know that. And but you know what, if that's a paying gig and then it can allow you to pay your bills mm -hmm. while you're doing your own art, whatever your mm -hmm. writing is, how much better is that? Oh, there's nothing better than that to have the freedom to be creative. Yeah. That's the most important thing because I think there's a lot of stress that comes with daily life, like with having to pay your bills and all a lot of young people don't know this yet um but it's stressful like when your electric bill comes in and you're like oh i can't go to the movies tonight because i gotta pay my i oh, yeah. i can only afford to buy pickles for dinner with the quarters that i found in my couch right um and oh, just like yeah. to how do you be creative when you're so stressed well i mean we've always told them you sometime along the line you're going to have to find a day job yeah and i can tell you not to brag I am a damn good production assistant. <laughs> That's how I got my start. I was a damn good PA. And so when Henry was doing his show, his Bronson show, mm -hmm. I was the PA. Yeah. And wow. nobody, man, could I copy those scripts and bind them and deliver them. <laughs> wow. He was, he was, it was epic. You know, I mean, all those, all those months on the sitcom Daddy Dearest and wow. all the indie films and working in Carl Reiner's editing room. Wow. I know what I'm doing. Well, I think that's a thing a lot of people think. Like, there's no work that is beneath you. No. no. I think that's where people get into trouble too. Yeah. You can't, nothing can be beneath, it can not be, it can not be your cup of tea, not be something you want to pursue. Yeah. But, but first of all, just work is work. And also, um, you know, you have to be a little bit, I mean, I don't want to sound like that whatever horrible executive that was like, people have to be grateful for their jobs. It's not, it's not that, but, but, but when you are given you do have to be grateful for the opportunity to create because it's so hard. Yeah. It's, yeah. So, it's so hard to do it. It's so hard to get it out there. And also you never know where like whatever job you're on is going to lead you. Like you might be doing a PA job picking up dog poop and like with your bare hands and you might all of a sudden have like the greatest epiphany idea ever or you might be working at the hostel and it's like I don't know if this is what I want to do and then you hear some great dialogue and you're like oh my god I'm going to use this later. Yeah. You could be anywhere doing anything yeah. and it could lead you to have a, meet, a chance encounter with someone. You could. Yeah. Absolutely. No, no. The one thing you cannot do is sit at home in the apartment your parents pay for and say, "Well, I'm better than this. I'm yeah, waiting right. to be discovered." Absolutely right. not. You have to go out and be discovered. Right. It's not my path. I'm right. Waiting it's not my, my path. I'm waiting for my path to. You can't. You can't. 
you can't wait for a path. You have to go make a path. Yeah, you have to walk own. and find a path. Yeah. yeah. Might be the wrong one, then you right. can go on another path. But And you never get to coast. Yeah. yeah no matter know. how high you fly, you are always begging and hustling and getting rejected. Hustling, hustling is hustling, the keyword there. You have Ooh. to do it. Yeah. It's it's almost painful how much you have to hustle. Like, I know. It's like, and it's hard if you're not like a naturally self-promotional person, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and have to talk about yourself and have to, I mean, I, every time I post something on social media about my work, I hold my nose. It's so I feel so ick, but I, ha- I have to. Yeah. But the people that follow you want to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they might not want to see as much of it as I actually put out there, but um, but the, you know, it's what, what are you going to do? I mean, if that's what you want, you got to put it out there. You have to be your own biggest fan. You, yeah. you do. You you have to do it. You got to whatever your demons are. You got to swallow them, and you just got to keep going because yeah. th- this this racket that we're in mm-hmm. is not going to come to us. Yeah, we have to always go to it. Yeah, and also the creative. It's like it's our job to make something out of nothing. Yeah, that's the. It starts with the writer. It starts with the idea. I said this to Henry years ago when he was very little. I said, if you really want to be an artist, the good news is you probably won't have a boss yelling at you to get stuff done like your teachers are doing now. Mm-hmm. The problem is you're gonna to have to be your own boss. So you yeah. have to build that boss in the back of your mind that says, Oh no no, today we have to go to work. Yeah, that's important. And like all my friends are always like, Golly, you're always working. And it's like, Yeah, I have to because I have to hustle. Have to. And it's like if someone's like, Hey, I'm flying in tonight at 6 p.m., can we do the meeting? Then it's like, Okay, I got to hustle. Oh, I can't have Monday plans. Oh, I can't have weekends. Got to hustle. I got to chase my dreams. Yeah. It's just, and it's not, it's not for everyone. No. Sometimes passions are okay just to be hobbies, though. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I am in awe and, and, I'm jealous of people who can make their passions their hobbies because you get to keep enjoying them. Yeah, I don't know how people do that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I remember when I went to film school, which was a wonderful way of spending my parents' money for no reason (laughs) because everything got was made obsolescent. Uh, Yeah. Easily the most talented person in our class did not go into filmmaking. Yeah. She She was so brilliant. She was the next Spielberg. But, you know, she met a nice man and they got a good deal on a mortgage for a house and they got married and and I called her and I begged her I'm like you got to come out to LA with us and she's like I'm kind of happy where I am that's great yeah good for her I'm but I'm so jealous of people like that that can just like separate their passion because like I was telling him like I live breathe eat exactly what I'm doing I love movies I love talking about movies I love like speaking with people about movies etc and it's just how can I not do that yeah. yeah, you are who you are. I am who no, I am. No, there's no point in finding it. No, I could never yeah. just have like a nine to five job and then like on the side write. No, could... you'd be the crazy movie girl in the Amazon <laughs> distribution center. Oh my God, They'd like, be like, literally. oh, don't talk to her. She's no. going to yeah. talk to you They'd about like, movies. This girl, we have to like fire her or something because she will not shut up. Like her, she's not doing a good job. But I guess, I mean, but at the same time, you have to kind of pick those day jobs in order if you really want to chase your career. Yeah. Yeah. But hopefully you find like a day job that's like in your career, like yeah, PA or work or adjacent or mm-hmm. something. I don't know. Um, Advertising or. Yeah. I mean, your dad and Quentin yeah, like my started dad, in a, yeah, my, like video store. Yeah, they worked in a video store. My yeah. dad did advertising and Quentin, I think, worked, I can't remember if it was Home Embassy. He worked at a VHS distribution and it's like you just kind of find something and then all of a sudden you're where you want to be. Yeah. And you never know who you're going to meet that might start something when one of the other PAs on the sitcom I worked at was the actor Howard Morris's son David Morris yeah so I got out of college he's like hey I'm starting uh I'm starting a, a video production company do you want to come work for me so I did as a video editor and as a PA and that paid the bills for years wow and I think that's also Henry is so nice 
And it's hmm. like when you're just nice to people, it's like hopefully they remember you. He's yeah. such a sweet kid. Yeah. Honestly. I think no, it's it's true. People do remember. And people people remember who works hard and people remember oh, who, work who hard. are decent. Wow, the time just flies with Gala. <laughs> That's all the time that we have for today. Are there any final thoughts that you two would like to leave with the audience? I would like to publicly ask Henry to forgive us for talking about him for all this time. He's going to be horrified. Like cringing and like rolling around so like, Mom, so Dad, why'd you do that? <laughs> say, say, say something to globalize all this, Max. Uh, I, will say, I, I will say to Henry, uh, I promise you at some point, even though Charles Bronson didn't have a good relationship with his mother, as you told me, I'm sure she would be on a podcast too talking about him. <laughs> And one day, Henry, we will meet. If it wasn't oh. if it wasn't eight years ago as your babysitter, right. it will one day be. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. We're getting closer and closer. I can feel it. That's it for today. Thank you so much to Max and Michelle for coming back to the show as a duo. It really was a pleasure. I'm Gala Avery, and this has been The Gala Show. The Gala Show is brought to you by Insertomatic. This episode was executive produced by Roger Avery and produced by Gala Avery. Music composed by Andy Milburn. As always, I'm your host, Gala Avery. Copyright 2023, all rights reserved. Despite me sharing the same last name with this charity, I don't have any affiliation with it, besides the fact that the issue is very near and dear to my heart. Did you know that in the United States, 2.7 million children currently have a parent in prison, and it's estimated that 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives? I was one of these kids, and as an adult, I am really grateful to be able to give back to Project Avery. Their mission is to build leadership from within by supporting community through programs such as mentoring and outdoor education, and also to remove the stigma surrounding having a parent that's incarcerated. You don't have to feel alone. If you know a kid who could use these resources or would like to donate money or time to the charity, please go to Project Avery, that's A-V-A-R-Y dot org, to check out what this amazing charity is all about. Again, that's Project Avery dot org. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart.